And what I've done is I'm going to be announcing uh, exactly right now that I'm going to be putting our vice president, Mike Pence, in charge. In charge of what? Everything? Oh, no. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Just the coronavirus. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Feel better? I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. I don't. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From with Pacifica you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Jamesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. And we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe over the internets for your listening convenience on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today on the Bradcast. It is infectious, isn't it? <laughs> good to have you here, um, and good to have Desi Doyen here and laughing at my jokes, because someone's got to. Indeed. I appreciate that, Desiree. <laughs> Let me start here first, however. Congressman Ralph Abraham, Republican from Louisiana, announced on Wednesday that he will not run for re-election. Abraham is now the 26th House Republican to retire ahead of the 2020 elections, while only five Democrats have decided to do so. 2018 saw a similar GOP exit, Um, before the Democrats flipped the House after the midterms in a tsunami of a blue wave in 2018. And yet, on paper, while this is yet another sign that it should be another very good year for Democrats this November, no matter who leads the ticket in the presidential race, a number of folks, including myself, are very concerned about the likelihood of brand-new, unverifiable computer voting systems installed across several key states across the country, um, potentially causing chaos and havoc that could potentially put the entire election itself at risk. Now, Louisiana, that's uh, Congressman Abraham's state, is one of the few in the union which forces all voters at the polling place to vote on 100% 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, old ones, in fact, in their case, the type that have been failing in elections for the past 20 years. 
Similarly, South Carolina holds its crucial primary this Saturday. It also forces all voters to vote on 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems. In their case, brand new ones made by a company whose systems have failed in election after election. Similar machines will be used out here in the largest county um, in uh, California. That would be Los Angeles County, the largest county in the country, in fact. Uh, that's what we'll be doing next week, voting on new untested touchscreen machines. Also, similar machines will be used in the largest county in North Carolina on Super Tuesday next week and across much of Texas and in some of the other 12 states that are also holding primaries on March 3rd. Then, a few weeks later, it's the state of Georgia, where that entire state, just like South Carolina and Louisiana, forces voters to use touchscreen systems at the polls, even after the state's old touchscreen systems in Georgia were ordered to be scrapped by a federal judge, and new evidence has recently surfaced that the old system was, in fact, Yes, hacked before the 2016 presidential election Good there. Lord. We will be joined by the leader of the uh, federal lawsuit against Georgia's uh, voting machines shortly to discuss that hack and much more, including a new state lawsuit that she has filed this week that will blow your mind. And we'll talk about the Secretary of State's investigation of her for investigating Georgia's horrific, unsecured voting system. Got that? All right. But first, very quickly, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average sank nearly 1,200 points at the close on Thursday, deepening a week-long global market rout caused by worries that the coronavirus outbreak will wreak havoc on the global economy. That is a more than 3,200-point drop in the Dow just this week alone, and it comes on the heels of Donald Trump's announcement yesterday that Vice President Mike Pence will now head up the government's coronavirus response, an announcement made in the White House briefing room after we got off air yesterday, which also took the head of uh, Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, took him by surprise as well, as he was standing right there for the press appearance by Trump. Uh, Azar had uh, been the government's point man on the matter until he learned during that news conference that he had been replaced in that role by Mike Pence. And what I've done is I'm going to be announcing uh, exactly right now that I'm going to be putting our vice president, Mike Pence, in charge. And Mike will be working with the professionals and doctors and everybody else that's working. The team is is brilliant. I spent a lot of time with the team over the last couple of weeks, but they're totally brilliant and we're doing really well. And Mike is going to be in charge and Mike will report back to me. But he's got a certain talent for this. <laughs> so, oh boy, he, uh, Mike Pence has a certain talent for this. Uh, now, Azar, of course, as I said, had no idea. But setting that surprise aside, Mike's uh, Mike Pence's uh, certain talents for this. Well, as governor of Indiana in 2015, his certain talents included presiding over the worst HIV outbreak in the state's history, which critics blamed on Pence's belated response and to his opposition to authorizing a needle exchange program in the state. That followed his work as a member of Congress in 2011 when he voted to cut funding for Planned Parenthood, 
And then two years later, a Planned Parenthood clinic uh, that had been the only HIV testing center in Scott County, Indiana, they were forced to close because of those cuts that Mike Pence put in place following the HIV outbreak there. Got it? So that is uh, Mike Pence's certain talent for these sorts of things. I guess he has a certain talent to make them worse. (laughs) Oh, and uh, after Trump himself took office, he instituted a hiring freeze at the federal level at the CDC and the National Institutes of Health and elsewhere that resulted in some 700, 700 vacancies many of which were in offices that take the lead on things like, oh, you know, infectious diseases and global pandemics. So why worry? Well, the global markets uh, indeed are worrying. They tumbled now for a sixth consecutive day on Thursday, dragging down the S&P 500 more than 10 percent over uh, just the past week. Thursday, in fact, was the worst one day drop for the market since 2011. And stocks are now headed for their worst week since, wait for it, October of 2008 at the height of the global financial crisis. But the president of the United States said uh, in his press conference yesterday that it wasn't actually the virus that was worrying investors so much. He said he believed the plunge was also likely due to, quote, the Democrat candidates standing on the stage making fools out of themselves at Tuesday night's presidential debate in South Carolina. So that is apparently what has the markets spooked, not the global pandemic that seems to be getting worse by the day. So, uh, yeah, maybe there is reason for some worry, uh, at least. uh, But there is no reason to panic, at least in regard to the health of uh, you and your family. Exactly. Very important. Desi Doyen has been pointing that out to me in recent days. So uh, no panic, Des. If I watch uh, the TV news, the cable news and then the networks, all they seem to be doing is panicking. Why should I not panic? Nobody should panic. Everybody should stay calm. We're going to link to bradblog.com. We're going to link to some articles that explain some scenarios for you to think through about how to protect yourself and your family. How to panic. Basic things that you can do because there is no reason to panic right now. And the best thing you can do is to think ahead uh, to what you might need to have on stock, on hand, in your house, stuff you might want to do in case it progresses to the point where you get some local disruptions because that is a potential thing that could happen and then we can panic no definitely do not ever panic at any time okay so basically the cdc is saying just do all the things that you're supposed to do during flu season anyway which is you know wash your hands frequently with soap and water and to make sure you're washing your hands water both and to make sure you're doing it properly make sure you wash your hands for 20 seconds and the way to make sure you do that is to sing the abc song which is almost exactly 20 seconds long and that Make sure that you get it long enough. Teach your kids. Really? Tell everybody. Sneeze into your elbow. Don't shake hands with anybody. Use your sleeve to open doors when you're outside and uh, going through stores and stuff like that. There's all kinds of things you can do, like stay home if you're sick. Uh, talk to your employer about things that you can do, like, say, working from home. Make sure you think through scenarios of what you need to do if you've got children to take care of or child care or elderly people that you know and care for. Um, Lots of possible things to scenarios to think through to make sure that you're prepared in case 
in the low risk case that it causes local disruptions to supply chains and stores and you know schools closing and stuff like that which if they that do sounds terrible those are scary things but the good news is that yeah. means that officials are on top of it and officials are trying to help contain it so work with them and make sure that you're prepared so when things like that happen you're ready public health is based on public trust unfortunately we have a president we can't trust with good information so it's really important to make sure that you're going to legitimate sites like the CDC and your local state or uh, health organization to make sure that you get the most up-to-date and accurate information. Now, there are indications that the uh, virus can be contagious before you have symptoms for up to 14 days. So that's why it's really important to stay on top of it. And go ahead and check out the links that we're going to provide at bradblog.com for stuff that you can do to protect yourself and your family. That's it. I'm still panicking. <laughs> Don't panic. All right. No, actually, I'm not panicking. Thank you for that. Uh, but, uh, you know, given the possibilities of a global pandemic, uh, how many people will still want to show up to a crowded precinct on Election Day and put their fingers on a touchscreen that has been used all day by countless others? Anyone ever think of that when they came up with this ridiculous idea to use touchscreens at the voting system? Just one more reason. Wow, that why that was an insanely ill-considered idea. But, okay, if you want more such reasons, well, we got a lot of them coming up next for you as the Coalition for Good Governance's Marilyn Marks ends her long absence from this program to bring us up to date on the concurrent disasters in waiting in both Georgia and North Carolina, which votes next week on Super Tuesday. Yes, with infected touchscreen systems as well. The infectious fun continues straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. No, seriously, don't touch that dial. It's probably totally covered in germs. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the broadcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Georgia, Georgia. Oh, Georgia. The whole day through. The whole day, the whole week, the whole month, the whole year, the whole four years, every election after election. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay, we have been sending up flares, uh, so to speak, in recent days on this program to inform you that the vote in this Saturday's crucial South Carolina primary, where Joe Biden essentially must win in order to stay viable at all in the 2020 Democratic presidential race, uh, will be on will be held on brand new 100 percent unverifiable computer touchscreen ballot marking devices or BMDs across the entire state made by a private company named ESNS. Voters at polling places. Uh, everywhere in the Palmetto State will be forced to vote on them on Saturday because apparently election officials in South Carolina either hate their voters or don't care if any vote cast in the primary will actually be verifiable as per any voter's intent after the polls close. Or maybe both. 
The new unverifiable system in South Carolina is made by ESNS, the nation's largest and arguably most failed private voting system vendor. The system replaces South Carolina's old 100% unverifiable ESNS touchscreen systems, which failed in numerous key elections in both South Carolina and elsewhere across the country including uh, when they awarded a primary election win in a South Carolina Democratic U.S. Senate race in 2010 to a man named Alvin Green, who nobody had ever heard of, who had not campaigned, who had no campaign website. But somehow he managed to win the Democratic U.S. Senate nomination on the state's unverifiable ESNS touchscreens that year. And of course, he then went on to lose bigly to the Republican incumbent Senator Jim DeMint that year. Just uh, three days after this Saturday's South Carolina primary on Super Tuesday, the same brand new and already failed unverifiable ESNS touchscreens will be used in the most populous and diverse county in North Carolina. One of the nation's most closely divided, if not the closely most closely divided state, uh, at least in recent presidential elections. And as we have been warning, similar systems are set for first time use here in California's largest county. In fact, it's the nation's largest county of Los Angeles, as well as in Texas, which will also both vote on Super Tuesday next week, along with North Carolina and about a dozen other states. In all cases, these systems have failed dramatically upon their first uses in various states and in various ways. Someone who knows quite a bit about all of this, including failed electronic touchscreen systems, both old and new, is Marilyn Marks, who has appeared on this program many times over the years, though not lately for a variety of reasons outside of both of our controls. Marilyn Marks is a longtime expert advocate for free and fair elections as executive director of the Coalition for Good Governance, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization committed to fair elections. They are the group that spearheaded the successful legal case that banned Georgia's nearly 20-year-old 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, only to see them replaced in this year's coming election across the entire state with brand new 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. They will be used statewide for the first time in the Pete State's critical presidential primary and general elections, unless a federal judge steps in to block the use of these new systems as well um, after they uh, had failed so miserably during their first tryout in municipal elections last November, where, no surprise, long lines caused delays for voters in a number of jurisdictions, even though it was a sparsely attended off-year municipal election with no huge races on the ballot unlike uh, what is likely to happen there during the state's March 24 presidential primary and, of course, in the November general election in a key battleground state, Georgia, uh, that has long been anticipated would finally turn blue during any old uh, presidential election now. Maryland, by the way, is also a resident of North Carolina, Mecklenburg County specifically. That's the county I mentioned, which is the state's most populous and most diverse, home of Charlotte. In perhaps the most closely divided state in the union, Mecklenburg's Board of Elections, in all their wisdom, 
and despite having a majority uh, uh, Democratic board, also chose to move to 100% unverifiable touchscreens this year, just in time for the state's own presidential primary next Tuesday, along with California and Texas and all of the other disasters. What could possibly go wrong? Here to tell us what could possibly go wrong and much more uh, that we know has already gone wrong in recent weeks and months and years in Georgia and North Carolina is our friend Marilyn Marks, finally back on the broadcast. Welcome back, Marilyn. Thank you so much, Brad. I've missed talking with you. I know we need to make up for that. We got a, you know, it's been a long time. Uh, that was thanks in no small part to my father's illness and the president's impeachment and your own busy schedule filing lawsuits and motions against Georgia. Uh, and the state of Georgia reportedly investigating you now for apparently <laughs> investigating <laughs> them. So there's been a lot of news out of both Georgia and North Carolina. We haven't been able to cover. We need to catch up quickly here today. Uh, I, I know uh, that you filed another lawsuit this week in state court in Georgia in advance right. of the primary, right. uh, even as that right. federal case is still pending. So I want to get to both of these. But since I mentioned it, uh, about six months ago, there was a story in, uh, I think, both the Atlanta J uh, Journal-Constitution and even AP that Georgia's Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, was claiming to be investigating you and another fairly regular guest on this program, Georgia Tech's uh, computer and voting systems expert, uh, Professor Rich DeMillo. Have they nabbed the two of you yet for your dastardly crimes? <laughs> And, and what exactly were those crimes, uh, uh, Marilyn, that you are maybe still being investigated for? Uh, we are still being investigated, Brad. Uh, as recently as last week, I had to meet with the investigator and talk with them about these alleged crimes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yes, it's, it is still an ongoing matter. It is completely absurd. Of course, it is all retaliation. And um, the sum and substance is this, uh, Professor DeMillo and I and uh, one other uh, poll watcher, mm -hmm. um, mathematician, software engineer, we were out uh, watching the polling places in um, the November 5th, 2019 election, mm -hmm. and we were there as members of the public. We were in a room that had 18, 14, 18 voting machines, quite a few voting machines, and we watched the the uh, election go on, and then when there was no one there, we, right before we left, and there was manager in the room the whole time, we said, we're going to step forward and read that sign up above the voting machine that we can't read from a distance. Mm -hmm. We made sure where hands weren't anywhere near the voting machine or anything, but stepped forward to look at the sign above the voting machine, and a Secretary of State representative snapped a picture of us and um, said that uh, we were too close to the voting machine, <laughs> and um, somehow that was some big violation of something. And they keep changing around what the allegation actually is, mm -hmm. but it has something to do with us reading that sign and um, stepping forward when there were no voters present. They, initially, they, somebody accused us of touching the machine. It was totally false. We didn't. But, you know, it is, it is nothing but an attempt to try to marginalize the efforts of experts and, and successful advocates. So and, you, um, so you and were, discourage others. 
and to I'm sorry to discourage others you say from doing the same thing you were essentially observing at the polls as people ought to be doing as the public ought to be doing uh, and yes. I guess uh, Georgia has a habit of uh, going after uh, election integrity folks who are actually trying to help them and trying to help voters. Uh, and by the way, I find it refreshing that uh, you are willing to speak about it rather than uh, say, well, it's currently under investigation. I can't speak about it, which is what people say when they're afraid of being guilty uh, for whatever they're being investigated for. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it's so absurd. And um, yes, um, we have seen a history of this with the Secretary of State of Georgia. Mm-hmm. If you recall, when Logan Land found a leaking server that was leaking millions of records from Georgia's uh, election databases, mm-hmm. uh, and he called the authorities. What did they do? The, and he called the authorities being the Secretary of State's mm-hmm. people. He called them and said, you've got uh, information leaking out that's very dangerous. What did they do? They called the FBI on him and tried to make him into a criminal. And you're and right. And announced... And announced that Democrats were trying to hack the election that when they were trying to help. One, yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. and I want to get to I want to get to Logan Land because we've got some uh, new information on that that has uh, broken since we last talked, uh, and it's quite huge. But uh, just sticking with the thing that I guess you're sort of being investigated for. Uh, one of the things that I, I think that you and Professor Demilla were actually investigating that day. Uh, was the use of these new Dominion image cast ballot marking device touchscreen systems that Raffensperger, the uh, uh, the Secretary of State now, has ordered all Georgia counties to use this year for the first time. And according to AP, yes, I see that you have now filed a lawsuit against these systems, um, not in separate from your federal case, but in state court, not on the grounds that these systems are unverifiable, but that they violate state ballot secrecy laws somehow. How so? Oh, Brad, it is it is just disgusting, insidious, and if people could only see just the outrageous the way that people are being required to vote in Georgia. Um, the touchscreen machines picture a an iPad that is, say, 22 inches high and 14 inches across. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very brightly lit with incredibly large fonts. You can see across the room, from 30 feet away, you can see what candidate someone is voting for. Okay, so there is absolutely no broad ballot secrecy at all. Anybody in the room, you're, you can see their ballot, their ballot choices. The press can see it, the public can see it, the poll workers can see it, their neighbors can see it, their minister, their doctor, their landlord, their boss. Everybody is voting essentially in public, Brad. So this is and a, you, this is a great big. This is like a great big computer monitor that serves as the touchscreen, but it's sitting there. Uh, straight up and down. It's it's not you know on the yes. on a table. It's, it's straight right. up and down, and everyone can see how you vote from across the room. Yes, and I have now, along with Professor Demillo as well, along with several other you know experienced poll watchers, we've now watched hundreds of people vote on this. And unfortunately, we just turn our eyes when they get to to the place that they're they're pressing the place for their candidate. Oh. Because we can see it from 40, 30, 40 feet away. Oh. Everybody talks about it. And, Brad, you can imagine that 
this is extremely intimidating to those who, quote, don't vote the right way. Mm-hmm. And um, I have talked to voters about this, and they, they are very, very concerned that they are going to get retaliation, pressure, and then other people are just not going to show up at the poll. You know, why would you do that if you might lose your job? Mm-hmm. You might, you know, um, uh, bring either retribution or scorn on yourself. And um, it is it is the saddest, scariest, most intimidating situation I've ever seen. They're putting 33,000 of these out into the polling places. They will, and, and statewide, people will be voting on them starting Monday in early voting for the presidential primary on the 24th. And as I understand... Yeah, yeah, well, I was going to say, you have a, a, you had requested an emergency hearing, according to uh, AP here, because there's actually, in, uh, is it Sumter County here? Uh, there's a, a state Senate district which actually has a runoff for a special election set for March 3rd. That's next Tuesday. Early voting right. has already begun on these systems. Have you had that emergency hearing? And, and if so, uh, what's, what's the remedy for this at this point? Oh, it's easy, Brad. The remedy is hand-marked paper ballots, right? I oh, mean, yeah. all they need to do is <laughs> put the touchscreen back in the box and hand people a, a ballot to mark with a pen and then run it into the scanner. They've got the scanner set up, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, life will be easy. But the, the state is resisting this like crazy. And we did have a hearing yesterday because early voting began yesterday. Mm-hmm. And um, we are going to have to continue this over the next few days. The judge came down very strong on the point of Georgia law requires absolute secrecy. No one can know. No one is to know how someone else votes. There, the, the state is not even arguing about this point. The state is not arguing that these are secret ballots. Well, what's their defense? I mean, how can they possibly defend it if it's so clear that a voter is allowed a secret ballot and this ballot is not secret on these great, big, huge touchscreen systems? Now they are saying, well, we'll get it fixed. We'll get it fixed. How? Well, we'll, (laughs) (laughs) they're, they're making ridiculous promises like, oh, we'll get some curtains. Well, you can't do that because that's against the law, too. It hides the machines from tampering, and the machines are not supposed to be put behind curtains. Then they're saying, oh, we will turn them around so that they are not facing, um, they're not facing the center of the room. Mm -hmm. Well, the problem is when people walk down the aisle, even if they're facing uh, the wall, you have to create space for them. People walk down the aisle to get to their machine, and they see everybody else's along the way. They, right now, are just dancing with the court, trying to claim that, oh, well, they'll do something. Don't worry, Your Honor, don't worry. We will do something to make sure that that ballot secrecy is preserved. Now, let me tell you, Brad, here's here's the really, really most interesting part of this. Yes, this special district election is a very small election. Early voting began yesterday. But we're trying to make a larger point, and the larger point is, You know, we've got early voting starting on Monday for the presidential primary on March the 24th. Mm -hmm. Georgia law, which is consistent with many other states, Georgia case law is if you don't have a secret ballot on a systemic basis, 
if you don't have a secret ballot, the election is null and void. Let that sink in for a minute, Brad. Presidential primary yep. election. Yep. The ability to nullify that election. You're already jumping forward, frankly, to my uh, November nightmare, <laughs> which is, you know, where uh, the state of Georgia, for some reason, ends up flipping Democratic for the first time ever. And uh, Donald Trump starts claiming that the entire state voted on unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. I guess he can now uh, claim they voted on that they lost their uh, secret ballot and that the uh, results from the state of Georgia have to be thrown out. And guess who Donald Trump will cite when he makes that argument? He will cite you, Marilyn Marks, and me, Brad Friedman, because he would be absolutely right to make that case. That's why this has got to be solved here and now. It needs to be solved before Tuesday. Yep. It needs to be solved before March the 24th, because just even imagine the contentious um, uh, March 24th primary. Mm-hmm. Um, any, any, um, any campaign and any Georgia voter, and there's 7 million Georgia voters now, mm-hmm. any Georgia voter can contest the March 24th election, and if it is done not on a secret ballot, there, there is an enormous risk there Unbelievable. of nullifying that. And you can imagine the t- the number of people who would have a reason yep. to want to nullify that. Sure. Um, even Trump himself, right? A- anybody, any, mean, any losing candidate, any supporter of a losing candidate could go forward and make these claims, uh, period. I mean, that just seems... And, and those claims would be true. And and it's a hundred, what is it, a hundred million dollar system or something that they're, that they're using in, in Georgia? Uh, it's, it's, they've spent at least 110 now and probably well on their way to 125. Now, is this problem uh, with the uh, secrecy and these great big touchscreens, is this uh, unique to these new Dominion systems and or, uh, well, you've already said it's not this particular county, it's across the entire state, but is it uh, only this type of touchscreen system from Dominion that causes this problem or do we see this in, in the other systems uh, like the one that will be used in South Carolina, which is ESNS? And, and in North Carolina as well? Um, no, not to this extent, Brad, and I, I will, because those machines are, one of the things you and I didn't talk about is the BM, the, the BMGs mm-hmm. by Dominion sit very upright. They're probably at about an 80-degree angle mm-hmm. and very, very bright, very large font. The express vote machines are more, you know, they are more angled uh, away from the voter, smaller font, not as bright, um, and now I'll be voting on one tomorrow, oh. so I'll give you the full report. I'm not too happy <laughs> about voting on one, but I think I just need to be able to be a, in the position to be a witness okay. if there ever needs to be any litigation, right? I, I, I would tell everybody else to vote on a paper uh, absentee mail-in ballot, mm-hmm. but I'm, just, I'm taking my chances and um, going to vote on this unreliable machine to, to be able to have firsthand uh, eyewitness experience on this. Taking but one I for the team, think, yeah. Uh, now, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Now that uh, this lawsuit about the secrecy uh, issue that's filed in in state court, that's separate from the federal lawsuit that I mentioned, where. Uh, the judge in that case has already ordered, uh, I think it was back in 2018, that Georgia's old 
Touchscreen systems made by Diebold may never be used ever again. That led the uh, Republican Secretary of State then to replace them with this new touchscreen machine uh, that is, as you note, uh, has this problem. Rather than hand-marked paper ballot systems uh, of the type that you and most cybersecurity and voting system experts strongly recommend. And so uh, you are now challenging this new these new uh, machines also under the previous lawsuit in federal court as well? That is that is correct, because they took everything that was bad about the old machine mm-hmm. and, made, and made an even worse selection. Um, because, you know, now they are choosing a machine that when people actually cast their ballot, they do, they have, they cannot read what they are casting. And, and but everybody in the room can read who they're trying to cast their vote for. And, um, I mean, it is, as you know, the, the ballot, uh, the vote goes into an in, uh, encoded barcode that right. no one can read. There are no uh, reasonable audit procedures that could possibly be used. Um, so they've taken all of the bad attributes that DREs had. They've retained those, and they've made, and they've brought other problems in, as well as it's going to take longer to vote. And interestingly, you these machines are so enormous, and they require so much electricity that not enough of them are going to fit into the polling places. Oh, Remember Jesus. in Georgia in 2018, in yeah. November 2018, you saw lines, mm-hmm. you saw uh, videos mm-hmm. of lines of three and four hours. Yeah. What are we doing? We're going to reduce the number of machines. Really? And, yes, and they're going to take longer to vote because it is a multi-step process to vote. Because you have so, to supposedly print out this paper, which has the barcode that your your uh, vote is somehow buried in an unreadable barcode even though as you say everyone in the room can see how you voted there's just no way to verify it later because it's all in a barcode that can't be verified by anybody now th- so is there any chance that these uh, systems can be stopped by the federal uh, judge who did not like the previous machines and ordered them, you know, to get rid of them for security reasons and everything else. Uh, do we have any sense where she stands on these new, even worse machines? Well, um, she seemed um, quite skeptical of them in some of the status conferences that we have had, and in her ruling in August, she seemed skeptical of them. Um, we have in front of her a motion for a preliminary injunction, and um, she has not yet decided to hold a hearing on that. Um, she she did ask for um, uh, that we would have another another conference here in the next several days, but it is it is not uh, you know a full blown multi day hearing. Mm-hmm. So we don't really we don't really know um, what her expected timing is. Um, there were there were, she had made comments in our last status conference saying that the state needed time to try to put in its system and that she didn't want to play election administrator and that if she went on to say if it is a mess it is a mess on their heads meaning the, yeah. the heads of the secretary of state well unfortunately we unfortunately it's, it's going to be colossal 
Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Unfortunately, the mess is not on their heads. It's on the voters who are the ones who are going to be screwed here ultimately. Sounds like she's not going to take any action before the March 24 presidential primary. We will see if there is a meltdown that day. And I'm certainly not hoping for one, but I guess if that's what it's going to take before... Uh, Georgia or the the courts realize what a problem this uh, this is to prevent them, you know, an an even worse meltdown from happening in November. Well, okay, I've only got a few minutes here, Marilyn, but I want to I sort of buried the lead here uh, on a story that broke last month, but we didn't cover because I've been trying to to talk to you. Uh, This is, I think, in the course of your federal lawsuit. Uh, evidence was discovered, according to the excellent Frank Bajak over at uh, Associated Press. Uh, he is ex- he, he really is. Uh, in January, um, that Georgia's central uh, election server was actually hacked before the 2016 presidential election. This is back when it was uh, believed Georgia might finally turn blue back in 2016. It didn't, according to the old Diebold touchscreen systems they were using at the time. Bayjack reports that an expert for your group, the Coalition for Good Governance, was finally allowed to examine the server that was used in the 2016 election and, uh, and in earlier years. And the, according to Bayjack, the uh, computer security expert says he found that a forensic image of the server for Georgia's elections showed signs that the original server was hacked. Now, I guess I am supposed to be surprised here by that. Um, <laughs> but what did your expert, uh, Logan Lamb, who you mentioned earlier, uh, I believe he was the one who discovered prior to the 2016 election that the entire voter registration database and administrative passwords for the voting systems had been sitting there online to download by anybody without a password. Uh, What did his forensic investigation discover about this uh, supposed hack? Okay, so he has only had time to just do the most superficial early look. Mm -hmm. He has not had time, and and we're going to have to pull together the funding to to get, you know, a deep, deep dive into the forensics, which will take months mm-hmm. to do that. But, you know, when Logan reviewed um, sort of the, the superficial data, it certainly indicated that there had been unauthorized entry into the system for some time and that that unauthorized user then erased their commands before they left. And In that, other words, yeah. we don't know what this person did, uh, but they were in there for quite a while, and this was the server, Brad, on which all ballots, all tabulation um, uh, programs, et cetera, resided. Th- so that all all ballot uh, programming resided here. This is kind of what freaks me out about this. Bajak reports that uh, Lamb uh, said that the evidence suggests an attacker exploited a bug that provided... Uh, quote, full control of the server. But here was the most troubling part. He, uh, Lamb also said he determined that computer logs, which would have been critical to understanding what might have been altered or stolen from that server, that the logs on the server only date back to November 10, 2016. That is two days after Donald Trump was elected president. So the mm-hmm. logs that might tell us what happened 
before the election, before the 2016 election, those were somehow wiped? The, I mean, these are supposed to be permanent logs, correct? They, they were wiped? Well, they, they were probably yeah. going, they were probably having a, a program that would just automatically wipe after so many weeks. We don't know whether that was the case, but regardless, as you're kind of pointing out, it shouldn't have been the case because by November of 2016, there were already plenty of warnings by the FBI mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, NIST and all sorts of other people that there were suspicious um, uh, attacks across the nation and that people really needed to be careful. And, and therefore, what you've, you've heard from the FBI, be suspicious of these attempted attacks, look at these ID addresses, what would you do? You would start keeping your logs, right? Anything up, mm-hmm. uh, running up until the election. Anybody who was in the least bit diligent, competent, or cared at all about election integrity, you would start keeping those logs knowing that that mm-hmm. there was, you had been told there was a potential problem. So you're suggesting... Instead, yeah, go ahead. Instead, yeah. they, instead, either purposely they wiped them, or let their automatic wiping program continue. Which was my point, that I guess it could be just a coincidence that these machines have been used for 20 years uh, and the server for many years, uh, but that the logs only go back to just two days after the presidential election in 2016. Everything before that gone, but we can go back and look to everything uh, beginning with two days after the presidential election. That doesn't sound suspicious at all, Marilyn. Uh, we will <laughs> we will talk about that, I, I'm hoping, in the future. Like I said, we got too much to cover too quickly here. That one seems like it needs some more uh, digging, uh, but I got to get uh, out. So finally, let me ask you... Uh, despite all of the work that your Coalition for Good Governance has been doing to fight for voters in Georgia, you are not unlike me in that we both now live shamefully in each of our state's largest counties, which have both gone to 100% unverifiable uh, ballot marking devices for this critical 2020 election. In my case, it's L.A. County uh, here in California. In your case, you live in Mecklenburg, North Carolina, uh, which is also moving to uh, this type of a system. Both counties will be using these systems for the first time countywide on Super Tuesday next week. We've had a few disasters here already in L.A. on these systems. Yeah. How's it going in Mecklenburg so far, and, and why the hell did they decide to use these systems instead of hand-marked paper ballots there? You know, we should both be embarrassed that we could not be better prophets in our own home. I um, am. I am. Uh, believe me. <laughs> me too. <laughs> but, um, you know, I have not been back to North Carolina since early voting began. Mm-hmm. And I can give you a report tomorrow or Saturday about what's happening. But um, I am worried about Charlotte and Mecklenburg. Um, mm-hmm. the, but one of the things I'm the most worried about Charlotte and Mecklenburg, Brad, is that there can be problems. And because of the lack of auditability of the system, we'll never know it. Yep. It's not going to be the kind of stuff that makes headlines. I mean, here we are now talking about stuff that was going on in Georgia's server in 2014, 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we may never know. But why did they choose this equipment? Why? Um, 
I hesitate to tell you why I think they chose it. It was the most expensive equipment they could get, and they steamed to all the way up to the Board of County Commissioners, not just the Board of Elections. They seemed to want to spend as much money with ESNS as they could possibly justify. Well, mission accomplished and the hell with the voters, apparently, if that's why this happened. Yes. Uh, we will yes. see uh, what the true cost, the true, pr- true price is for these, um, maybe as early as, uh, as, as Super Tuesday, when these things are used for the first time. We'll see if they melt down the way they melted down in other counties uh, last November when they were used uh, for the first time. I hope they don't, but the problem is, you're right, even if they do, we can never know if the results actually reflect the intent of the voter thanks to the design of these systems. Marilyn, thank you for continuing to bang this drum as loudly as you possibly can. I'm sorry I haven't been able to help you uh, bang it louder on this show of late. I hope to make that up in the future, whether you like it or not. Uh, Marilyn Marks, please support her work. As I've said many times, uh, I believe that the Coalition for Good Governance is doing the most important work in the nation when it comes to fighting these unverifiable systems help them out with the donation at coalitionforgoodgovernance.org you can find Marilyn on the Twitter she's a must follow she is Marilyn R. Marks the number one Marilyn R. Marks one Uh, Marilyn thanks for all you do we'll talk to you soon thank you Brad for all you do appreciate it talk to you soon very good bye bye okay quick break and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report where everything is also going really well. (laughs) I'm Brad Friedman, and you're listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on The Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation, or even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Gosh, I wish I could stop the world. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So let's see. Uh, Everything is falling apart. Global (laughs) pandemics. The stock market melting down. The uh, elections. Who knows what's going to happen? We can't wait for Tuesday and pray to God there is no meltdown across the country. Uh, 
Other than that, what can you cheer us up? Oh, yeah, <laughs> the Green News Report. Let's get go. it. That'll put a smile on our face. Our latest Green News Report. We have the necessity, the moral imperative to address the existential threat of climate change. CBS News ignores the climate crisis in South Carolina debate, but candidates don't. J.P. Morgan economists warn climate change threatens human survival. Plus, a huge ball of fire in the center of the refinery. Yet another refinery explodes, this time in Southern California. All of those explosive stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. It's an easy word, but it's a very complicated word. When you think of it, it's called water. Huh, that is complicated. What's it called again? Water. Very interesting. Thank you, Mr. President. This is your Green News Report. But it can help us to a level that nobody can believe. Okay, Desi Doyen, seems like we've got a lot of refinery explosions of late, most of them in Texas, but now we got another one right here in Southern California. Yep, uh, the largest refinery on the West Coast, the Marathon Petroleum Refinery, located south of Los Angeles, exploded on Tuesday night. Multiple explosions, flames, and billowing smoke forced the closure of the famously busy 405 freeway. Mm. No injuries were reported, and the cause remains under investigation. Nearby residents were told to shelter in place until the fire was extinguished many hours later. Fire officials, however, said air quality was within acceptable levels. Acceptable levels, whatever that means. Yep. A new report from one of the world's largest banks warns that climate change is a threat to human existence, but you'd never know it from watching the Democratic presidential primary debate in South Carolina on Tuesday night. We got to hear about the candidates' personal mottos, but the CBS News moderators asked zero questions about climate policy. Well, it's not all that important. Yeah, it's just the multi-generational challenge that's going to face everyone on the planet for the next several centuries. Oh, you. The only time the climate crisis was mentioned was when the candidates raised it themselves. Here are all 40 seconds of climate in the two-hour debate with billionaire Tom Steyer, Senator Elizabeth Warren, billionaire Michael Bloomberg, Vice President Joe Biden, and Senator Bernie Sanders. I got into this race to make sure we had climate justice for the American people. The filibuster is giving a veto to the oil industry. Climate change which is clearly a global crisis requiring international cooperation. We have to deal with China if we're ever going to solve the climate crisis. And this is a guy who I was able to convince should join the international agreement at the Paris Agreement. Climate change, which is a global problem that ha- where we need U.S. leadership, the biggest threat to America right now is climate. We have the necessity, the moral imperative to address the existential threat of climate change. So that sounds like they were talking about it a lot, but this was a two-hour debate, and that clip, 40 seconds or so, was literally every single comment about climate change in the entire two-hour debate. Yep. Even Democratic South Carolina Congressman Joe Cunningham said he was dismayed by the lack of climate questions because, quote, we are sitting at sea level. It is 2020, and CBS News is still failing the test of informing the electorate. CBS's failure is all the more remarkable in the wake of a leaked internal report from J.P. Morgan, one of the world's largest banks. J.P. Morgan economists warned in star 
stark terms that the climate crisis, quote, could end human life as we know it. The leaked report warns the world is seriously underestimating the adverse impacts and costs of climate change, concluding, quote, we cannot rule out catastrophic outcomes where human life as we know it is threatened. We can't get a government to properly deal with a global pandemic killing people right now. You think we're going to get them to give a damn about something that's going to happen 5, 10, 20 years from now? Good point. Thanks. J.P. Morgan on Monday announced it will, however, end financing of Arctic drilling projects and some coal companies. Good. Environmental groups agree. They call it good, but weak, since the bank remains one of the world's biggest backers of fossil fuel projects by far. Mm. Climate change will also seriously reduce water flows on the Colorado River, one of the primary sources of water for the western United States. Demand already outstrips supply for the seven western states that rely on the river. The new study by the U.S. Geological Survey projects severe water shortages in Colorado River flow, estimating it could dwindle by as much as 30 percent by 2050. Well, Donald Trump was out here in California just about a week ago, and he told us all that it was a fake man-made drought. There's no problem here at all, Des. Finally, a bit of good news. Electric vehicle sales are soaring in Europe. EV sales grew more than 50% over the last year in Europe, but they dropped 9% in the United States. Analysts at S&P Global Platts attributed that to very limited availability of electric models for U.S. consumers to buy. This week, General Motors unveiled an all-electric crossover vehicle with a 250-mile battery range at a base price of just $24,000. Wow. But it's only available for folks in China. For much more on all of these stories, if you can stand it, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report. Oh my God. We are so on the highway to hell, Desi Doyen. <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, so, uh, we may already be there, for all I know. Thank you very much, uh, Desi Doyen, our producer uh, and driver today. Also, my thanks to Marilyn Marks, my guest from the Coalition for Good org, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free. You can stay in your house where it is safe. No worries about the coronavirus and just listen to it. See, we make it easy for you. That is free and that is because uh, those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi and me continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Uh, thanks to those who have stopped by uh, wishing uh, birthday wishes to Desi Doyen yes, this week. Yes, thank you. And you can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I hope you find, follow, and share all that we do there as well. We will meet you here next time. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>